First, some disclaimers. We're not professional. Not at all. Not in the least. Strap in your seats, kids. We're all amateurs. Not trained. I am totally self-taught. You were so good for about 30 minutes in town. Yeah, you don't need to discredit us. We can discredit ourselves. (laughs) So I had the other day the uh, big realization in our life, Keith. So Fabian, growing up, we would go visit family up in New York. And we would usually, well, for five years there, we were trekking all the way up to New York from Charleston, uh, 12-hour drives usually in a van that broke down a lot. And uh, we would show up. It always seemed like we showed up between the hour of like 10 to 2 a.m. Yeah. Well, sort of midnight. Yeah. Well, a really good ride was, oh, we're getting in near 10 or 11, sweet. And so if that was the case, we would, hey, go buy, go buy a Valencia cake before you come. We'll have coffee ready. But one other thing that was a trend was that our grandma on our mom's side would always, well, it seemed like she always had something cooking. And I would wonder, why are you cooking at 11 at night? And not for us. It just happened that we're coming while she's cooking. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, the other week, I can't even say how many weeks ago, but the other week, um, we were going to, I was going to make a carne guisada for dinner, but we just lost track of time and it was three hours to cook. So we're like, okay, we'll just get some takeout and then I'll cook it for tomorrow. So I'm up at 11 o'clock finishing my carne guisada. And I was like, this is why she was up because it was so peaceful. (laughs) I was just sitting there with the smells and I munching on the potatoes that were cooking and it just tasted like New York, which this is like New York. Well, New York for us, right? Like, it just, I was like, "Mm, this is so good. (laughs) But I was, (laughs) I had this moment of clarity on why you cook carne guisada at until 11 o'clock at night. And it was amazing. Yeah, right. I can imagine so. I would imagine so. So it was either that or we were eating Dunkin' Donuts. It was either Dunkin' Donuts or Valencia cakes. I don't know. Sometimes you had to go by the uh, the local bakery if it was if if you were getting at a time where you could get the bread fresh out of the factory and it was getting made. They had a side door, Fabian, where you could go and basically buy it um, right out the back door of this place and usually send somebody to do it. And I don't know if there's anything super super special about this bread except when it's fresh it's it's um because it's hot and it's crusty and the inside is still nice uh soft and warm they would um get it for like 
after church on Sundays, somebody always had it with dinner. It was like there was no meal where there wasn't this magical loaf of bread. And and this particular bakery, I think, was I don't know if it was like in the middle of the Bronx or just happened to be nearby where everybody lived. But they would always send somebody. Somebody was always on the hook to have to go get the bread um, and would show up with it. So so for me, my memories, Jay, always involved either this bread yeah. or the Valencia cake. Which, if you, it, for those who don't know what this is, it's like a vanilla cake with multiple layers in it. Um, so there's, there's, um, <clears throat> it's like your standard yellow cake with a layer that is what, like vanilla cream, a yeah. layer that is chocolate cream, and uh-huh. then a minced orange, almost like a marmalade layer. In there that's the valencia part they're using valencia oranges right in it and then it and then it would have this ridiculously sweet buttercream frosting on the outside um and so well, that the was mix a, of all that yeah. together was pretty crazy and then the third thing was like the they basically like old school italian style cookies the kind you get in the box they're all the same, mm-hmm. you know, they're like McNuggets. They show up in the same shape, no matter where you get them from, <laughs> where where they're the leaves and the little shapes with like the, the dips in them for jams or chocolates or whatever. And then uh, <clears throat> there were sandwich cookies and um, just all these different, all these different kinds that you would get. But they were like a staple every single time we got with family, you'd always see that. My funny thing, Jay, with with uh, Grandma was always going in, and whenever she was making coffee, <clears throat> especially when I was a kid, she didn't have a a modern coffee maker in the kitchen. She had a gas stove. <coughs> Excuse me. She had a gas stove. She would make, she would brew it in the pot, and she would be using a saucepan, and then she had this basically a ring on a handle with what i thought as a young kid like five six years old i thought she was using her pantyhose to basically brew coffee in this pot because she'd just be dipping this thing (laughs) in and out but come to find out what it is it's an old school coffee filter it's actually like a canvas that's on a handle that you could put your grounds in and you just let it steep in there which makes sense to me now but as a kid i'm just like why is she using her socks to make coffee but yeah I and the funny thing is she would brew it there and then they would turn around and in the same pan they'd put in the milk and that would warm it and they'd get it to the right color and then um you know people could add their sugar or whatever once it got into the cup but it but it was never black uh in the house it was always coffee with cream in the house in some fashion so i i just always remember that yeah i thought it was pantyhose too and then (laughs) the worst part the worst part though was when she would be finishing up and she'd lift it up and then twist it squeeze out the stuff and you're just like staring at it like uh uh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty gross (laughs) oh that was that was that part, but you know, thinking about thinking about having to spend time cooking and all that, I I have learned to be better about um, being more selective about whom I choose to cook for 
or offered to cook for. Because I have found that, especially if they know that you have a smoker, the first thing that people want to jump to is, oh, can you do some barbecue pork? And what I don't think a lot of people realize is that seemingly of all the cuts that exist out there in the world, pork shoulder takes forever. Forever. There is no scooting around it. There's nothing less than a a 12-hour window that you're going to have to dedicate to making this thing. And if they want it for lunchtime, you're screwed because that means you're putting it yeah, out there. I, I you're you're up all night because you're you're or at least for a good portion of it to make sure it gets started to color. Um, and in my case, I usually don't go to bed until I wrap it. And then once I you know once I'm wrapping it, I'm leaving it until I pull it out. So it's just it's a whole other bag. But when I'm actually smoking it, I'm up for four to six hours once I start doing this thing. So. Um, it's just funny when when people ask for that, but but the payoff is always, oh man, this is so good. This is this this is the best. This is great. How how you do that? And uh, so that's always nice. But yeah, it's uh, it, there's no you know for the for the easy riders, which I think our dad is, and he's he's the easy rider when it comes to the the cooking stuff. He is a happy consumer. But there's no appreciation for just how much time went into making it all. It's just, oh, is it ready? Oh, it's great. No, it's terrific. It's done. And then he's moving on. And then he's moved on. And it's like, you don't appreciate You're not worthy. You're not worthy of this product that I spent time putting together for you. <laughs> like, it's like, like, it's like, like a brisket. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. It's funny. It's funny like that. But anyway. All right, so with that, welcome everybody to Amateur Dads, a uh, podcast about parenting, being a dad, all the joys, stresses, and concerns that uh, are facing us in this world. Um, my name is Jay. I'm a father of four, and I'm joined today by my brother Keith. Have, yeah, I was going to defer to Fabian, but yeah. Uh, I'll, no, I'll go no. Next. God, oh, you man. blew the uh, you blew the intro. Yeah. Blew the intro. That's we'll, Keith. We'll He's it, a father we'll of two. All right, here, here no, we go. No, this back is it. it. It's in. It's in. It's in. Claim it back. Claim it back. Claim we're it going back. Live. Go. Ready? We're, we're going live. We'll do it live. <laughs> go, go to the old Bill O'Reilly bit. We'll do it live. Got yeah. Sticks. No, we're, we're, I'm leaving it in, Keith. Um, I would have to. <laughs> Fine. Anyway, I'm Keith. I'm a dad of two. Uh, one under the age of four, one under the age of two. So mine are, are definitely on the wee end of the spectrum, but uh, but doing my thing with two little ones in my house. And we're joined today by our first repeat guest, although this will be your third appearance. It's really your second appearance because we recorded so damn long last time. We're joined again by Fabian. How are you doing, Mr. Proper Bartender? I'm well, thank you very much. Yeah, I will uh, take full blame for... The long-winded and long-running uh, uh, series that we created, if you will. Uh, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> so so. Uh, but I am, <laughs> I am a father to two uh, two girls, and we. Uh, I will take this. We have a third one on the way. Hey, wow. hey. We are at eleven weeks. So this actually happened prior to the covid furlough and shutdown 
Yeah, uh, and and due to our previous discussions, we know this for a fact. Yeah, we know this for a fact. Yeah, because I was not aware. Uh, <laughs> and then we are very much aware now, and we are very much overjoyed now. Um, but that being said, yeah, it's uh, if anything, you know, I will have an an elder millennial COVID child, if you will. Yeah, the COVID babies or yeah. generations Generation C. Yeah, Gen C. Is that what it is? That's what I heard. I, I don't know. They try and put these labels on everything. Keith and I had one uh, a debate one time. Like, well, what are what am I? I'm here. I'm at the fringe. Like, I'm a old millennial. Like, An right? Elder, mo- elder millennial, if you will. Yeah, whatever. And, but I've had like team members now that are ten years younger than me, and they want to say in discussions, yeah, you know, they're our age. Oh, yeah. Well, they're my age. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, thanks. But uh, it's funny you said a uh, series of stuff because I actually entitled our notes doc, No Smoking. And uh, that's a, a family joke because we went to a Mexican restaurant one time, me, my mom, and my dad. And my dad told them to seat us, tres, no smoking. And uh-huh. we're like, no smoking. What? <laughs> uh, still a thing now? Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. But instead of saying sin fumar, it was tres no smoking. Yeah. And we just gave him crap for it. So, yeah, this could be the tres no smoking. I don't know. Wow, that's great. So what's up, fellas? Since day 26, we had tried to do a uh, day 52 kind of thing, and that never happened. And then all of a sudden, a week and a half went by. So let me let me dive right into this with the angst uh, that that I have had since the beginning of this whole situation, where for a certain segment of the population, this has equated to literally time off. And these are the folks that you see on your Facebook wall. Where they're like, oh, what what do I want to binge today? What, what do I want to watch on Netflix? Wait, what? Eh, there's nothing else good on Hulu. Wait, wait, wait. Not no, no, that no. there's D- anything D- wrong with D- that. D- D- Disney Plus. I, I, I've been through it all. Does anybody have anything? Entertain me. I've been through it all. And I'm sitting there going, screw you, jackass. Like, I've, I barely have time <laughs> still to get through one freaking set of a show, much less pick up a new one, much less ask people what else should I watch of the 50 million offerings that are here on this one streaming service, much less three to five others. It's ridiculous. And and so I, I have no no patience for that nonsense. I'm like, I'll, I'll tell you what you can go watch. You can t- tune in our Facebook Live, and you can catch me taking a dump. There will be your new, freshly generated content just for you. Okay? How about that? How about that? I'll air a new episode once or twice a day. How about that? It's get you get you an early bird special. Seriously. <laughs> You know, we'll do it in surround sound. It'll be a quality oh, broadcast. Oh, God. smell a vision <laughs> it's, no. it's just annoying. Because no. seemingly since the beginning of this thing, both when I was still teleworking with, with my wife from home, but even after I got furloughed, all that the only thing that changed was the expectation of what's being handled in the schedule and by whom. And that was it. Nothing else changed. Nothing else went away. Suddenly my life didn't get easier. Suddenly it was, okay, so now I'm not managing between, okay, how are we going to balance 
is between me and my wife so we both get our work done. It's no, no, no. Kids are up at seven and now I'm on. And now, you know, it's, it's, it's like, here we go. And, uh, and so my, my day tends to end much later than it did back when I was teleworking. Back then, I feel like I had an excuse. Now I have no excuse. So now I'm doing a lot. Yeah. That's not me complaining. I'm just saying, dude, I'm beginning to understand why parents who happen to be stay-at-home parents turn around and look at the other one that comes back from the office or from wherever they've gone to work and says, oh, great. Where you been, jackass? Here's the shit I've been dealing with. And, uh, you know, yeah. turn, turn around and, uh, and uh, you know, it all, it's always becomes that you don't know what happens during the day and how much I do. <laughs> and all that. And all that well, let me tell you right now, I come home and I can see how much you didn't do. <laughs> well, hey, tune, tune in twice a day and you can see just how much I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, uh, I know exactly uh, what you mean because I stayed home for – two years roughly uh when we only had two and then the third one came but i had days where my wife comes through the door and i'm like just i just need like five minutes yeah <laughs> and i'm like i i it's been a day i mean i had one day where the oldest refused to clean up after herself in the playroom we had and i was like you can't go outside until you clean up and she didn't go yeah. outside and yeah. this was like hours and i'm just you can't don't nope clean up ah. so yeah i completely get in yeah the the massive void of content that's out there it's uh it yeah i i'm playing like stuff maybe in the background that i've already seen i i don't have time to start something new well see i put it i put it you know i i, I I'm not saying there's a void of content. There's just, there's so much out there. Like, how the hell do you get through all of it? If you've got that kind of time that you've really worked through the aces that Hulu has and all the the A-list stuff that's out there on Disney Plus or anywhere else for crying out loud, it's like, like, damn, really? How how much are you really doing in your life? I just wonder. You sound very judgy. I don't like it. I don't want to be a part of this. You know what? You know what? (laughs) Okay, I take it all back. There's a lovely series out there. I'm sure there's more than enough rom-coms. They all end the same way, but each one is worth watching in its own way. <laughs> I, would, I would say if you want to keep it interesting, actually the best thing to do would be to catch, uh, figure out a way to watch some Bollywood flicks. You ever seen one of those, Jay? No. Some Bollywood movies? They are quite Bollywood. the thing. They are quite the epic. Dude, so it, long story short, for no one who's ever watched a Bollywood film, this and this goes back to the me Indian cinema on the whole did not allow you to portray like intimate scenes in it it's a very conservative approach to cinema so you won't even necessarily see people kiss um, on on film um, so the trade-off to all of that is instead of getting your or intimacy scenes like you would anywhere else what you get are these fantastic and and outrageously choreographed dance and music routines that 
take place randomly throughout the film. And so it's a theme also where I need to get married and leave mom and dad's house and get on and, 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 uh, you know, other things. Hold on a sec. You're breaking up. Yeah, you're you're breaking up heavily. We've tried to be patient about it, but it's been it's been uh like I'm, we're I'm, missing I'm, the story. Yeah. Hold Please hold for you. technical difficulties. <laughs> Alright, are you here are you hearing me better now? Yeah. Yeah. All right. We shall see All how right, long so, so, I know. So, so 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 let me take it back to what a Bollywood movie is. So Bollywood is like the uh, Indian version of Hollywood. And the the best way I can describe these is that, at least from my own understanding, so if I'm, if I'm incorrect, I apologize to whoever's listening out there, but this is what I understand from the few Bollywood films I've seen. There's no allowance for what would be your tr- traditional cinematic uh, scenes of intimacy. You're not going to see Lars von Trier scenes in a Bollywood flick. Um, and so with that, the tendency is for the film to be a little more on the vanilla side when it comes to romantic comedies and stuff like that. There could be plenty of drama and plenty of good storytelling, but the trade-off to the kissing or lovemaking scenes is that instead what you get are these fantastically choreographed dance routines that will occur at random throughout the film, um, either at somebody's wedding, somebody's party, somebody's whatever, so-and-so came home, somebody found their long-lost friend or sister, whatever happens, and all of a sudden all 100 people in the shot are dancing in routine with one another, and there's lots of color, lots of great music, lots of, you know, and it's... uh. It's 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 insanely. Hey, see, I want to watch that. Fabian's <laughs> shaking his head because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. He knows. I know. Wrong. I what I know is that you 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 went for it there. But our... <laughs> anyway, anyway, the point is, some of these are actually really fantastic films, and there's some great directors that have that have put some um, um, really good sort of forward leaning Bollywood films out there in recent years and so if you've never seen one they're actually quite entertaining and uh and always a pretty good a pretty good watch so anyway if you're running out of things to watch why don't you watch some bollywood or broaden your mind watch some telemundo novellas you know that'll that'll really really step up step up your game a little bit you know some maria de barrio hey hey so okay so when you say this it makes me it it makes me smile if only because if anybody who's familiar with will ferrell is familiar with his work and if you may or may not know this he did an all spanish film that was in english subtitles it's called casa de mi padre i have house of my father yeah it is a strong strong recommendation (laughs) <laughs> he speaks Spanish in the entire film. The entire oh. film is in Spanish. And it is an absolute trash debacle telenovela turned into a film. <laughs> nice. And it is all of 
they over-dramatize all of the classically over-dramatized scenes in every telenovela that's ever existed. Oh, God. And, um, yeah, you know, put me on Yelp. Five out of five stars. Highly recommend. So was it Casa de mi Padre? Casa de uh, mi so, Padre. Uh, telenovela squared. Yeah. Casa de mi Padre. Pan right to Will Ferrell, not looking at the camera, and then turning his head sideways real fast with, with like, a mariachi hat on. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts uh, of, like, terrible cultural appropriation at its mm-hmm. best. It's my favorite. Th- this had to have come after Anchorman. Oh, yeah. It was, and it was, but it was, like, a low... It's like he did it on the low where nobody really knew he did it unless there was people who were following him. So I definitely recommend it. Casa de mi padre by Will Ferrell. It's it's a Spanish flick and you'll see the English subtitles and it's hilarious. If that's like the uh, <clears throat> that's like the two episodes. Anybody who ever used to watch the show Psych that was on uh, USA Network God, back it's in been the day. A while. There were they they did a couple episodes where they did you know, like the case or their their crime fighting took them to the set of a telenovela, and uh, you know the the lead decides he's going to interject himself into the show, <laughs> and so they end up doing all this uh, over overly dramatic acting and all that sort of stuff. It's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> uh, so we um, haven't watched. Any of that. And Keith, when you said Lars von Trier, I'm like, quick, Google Lars von Trier, because I'm like, I had heard the name. Now I'm good. Go, just Google it. Don't worry about it. Uh, Let, let's put it this way. People who know, people who know, they know. And yeah. it's okay. I, I, I will say, I, I watched... <sighs> okay. Do we do we want to go down this road? I was gonna say just leave it, Google it. And I, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it this way: do not do not sit your kids in front of a Lars von Trier film. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. Save it for late at night. Get a couple drinks in you. I, I would recommend you watch it with the lights on, but um, odds are you'll you'll do much better if you just sort of give yourself a setting within which to watch a Lars von Trier film. And then be willing to, you know, take a couple of days before you talk to anybody about it. So that's before just my that, that's just my <laughs> opinion. Continue. So definitely not a Lars von Trier film. Uh, we watched Extraction, the Chris Hemsworth movie that uh, was directed by Chris Evans's stunt double from the MCU movies. Nice. And uh, it's if you like. 80s action movies but better uh yeah no i'd watch thing, but go on yeah but uh, uh, <laughs> uh no it was really cool they had this pretty awesome they had some pretty awesome uh choreography in there and uh you know it's sort of in the john wick sort of vein of uh really emphasizing the stunts and the work that the stunt doubles or stunt men do and uh, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's a nice yeah. shoot em up. Yeah, and the, stuff. the technical skills that are involved. Yeah, you can tell, all right, like, that's CG, blah, blah, blah. But when you see, like, all these guys, like, falling off of things and the... Well, didn't... Speaking of that, didn't Keanu do... Like, I don't. when I say majority, I don't mean, like, 55%. I mean, like, 90% of all of his own stunts and acting and action scenes 
in all of the John Wick films. Yeah, he yeah, he was up there all the shooting and all that. They have videos of him uh, going through the courses, even with the third movie with Holly Berry, where she came in. She that she ran the same exact course. And, you know, she's doing precision shooting, um, moving between weapons and stuff. So it is I mean, they if you have not watched John Wick three, though, what they should have done, just a minor edit, was put a score running in the upper right of the screen and just kind of thrown up randomly like mega mode. Like in hot shots, like like in hot (laughs) shots, too, like in hot shots part two when they got the running kill count. Yeah. He's just running, and it's like bloodier than RoboCop, bloodier yeah. than Death Wish, bloodier <laughs> than Rambo, <laughs> bloodiest movie ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because he it was just so ridiculous, but it was still great. Um, but yeah, no, Extraction was pretty cool. Nice. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, good times. Fabian, what are you what are you doing sitting around on your butt watching TV all day? You know, unlike Keith. Ah, dude, so I've definitely been uh, guilty of uh, being the person who's given all the time in the world and not taking advantage of it. Um, I mean, we were literally just given all the time in the world, not so recently, and uh, didn't do a damn thing, really. No, I uh, didn't read as much as I should have. I know that. I've been uh, reading, catching up on all my Calvin and Hobbes, though. That's been great. Nice. Yeah, so I have uh, I have volumes one through four, the entire collection. I'm about to finish volume one, and then I'm going to move on to volume two. And uh, it is super enjoyable. I thought I liked it a lot when I was between the ages of 10 and 12. And now I'm 33, and I enjoy it so much more, especially from like the remarks that the parents say. <laughs> I, the relatability that's happening is yeah. is is hilarious, but also self-reflectively offensive because <laughs> I'm witnessing myself either be the bad guy or I'm being made fun of for being the parent in, the, in these in these uh, strips. Um, so I've been that's doing awesome. that. Uh, watch stuff that I've been watching. Uh, so I've really always been into like Top Gear, uh, uh, James May, Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond. I think they're. I think it's a great series. I think it's a hilarious series as well. Um, lots of car talk, lots of mechanical talk, but lots of like humor attached to it. Uh, recently, James May, uh, one of the uh, presenters on that show, uh, it's, now the show is called Grid, the Grand Tour, or something like that. Uh, he did a bit called. Um, James May, our man in Japan. Mm-hmm. And he went to Japan for, I believe it was 11 weeks, and they did a six-episode series. And so they packed in 11 weeks of his trip through Japan all the way from north to south. It's on Amazon Prime. This is not a plug, but Amazon Prime, if you want to plug my account with something, that would be cool. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, it that. is on Amazon Prime. We love you, Jeff. Oh. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> come on, JB. <laughs> uh, Find those uh, pockets. So anyway, the Top Gear travel through Japan. Yeah, really. So I'm a I'm a big fan of that show. I think it's great. Um, so they, they did it through Japan. Really interesting. Uh, I think 
I think they could have maybe dug a little bit deeper into it, but all the points that they hit on, you know, culturally Japan, north or south, there's a location uh, almost in the southernmost point of Japan where, interestingly enough, they have an, uh, a town, a city, I forgot what it's called, and everybody's kind of aged out of it. So originally, at one point, there was like a population of seventy thousand, of like seventeen thousand people there. Now there's twenty-seven people remaining in that town and city wow. and village. Um, so there's an artist that's been turning the village and city and filling it with uh, uh, wool knit mannequins. And let me tell you. The what? very intriguing, creepy factor that takes place with this. Because so, and like almost all of them, there's about apparently some 280 people that used to live there that she's turned into mannequins that she's knit. And they're like in different parts of this town. So it's like a, it's like a mannequin ghost town, if you will. And she did one of him and he was so incredibly creeped out by it. He goes... Everywhere I go in the world, I'm going to know now that there's another me in Japan. <laughs> and, right? But here's the thing. The sights of this town are just gorgeous. But the problem is that all of the younger generation have moved on to, like, Osaka or Tokyo or, like, the major cities. So this city now is kind of being depleted and dying down. And apparently homes, homes with land are going for under ten thousand pounds, translation under fifteen thousand dollars. So, well, anybody, do you, you want to live in the town of Man? I don't know if I want to live there, but dude, I wouldn't mind escaping to saying, yeah, I'm gonna go to my house in Japan and actually be able to escape to my house in Japan and not be bothered by a bunch <laughs> of insert expletives here. No, you'll just get stared at by all the yarn people. Well, I mean, hey, they probably supply better conversation than what I'm dealing with in other places. You work <laughs> at a social job. Yeah, you but, you know, have... that doesn't mean the people there have social skills. <laughs> listen, I, you, you listen, you, you get nine drinks deep and tell me how good you are at holding a valuable conversation. Oh God. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. I guess. Well, well, thank you for that uh, enlightening suggestion, Fabian. That's why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Keith, uh, I had made a note because I just keep this running list of potential topics. And can you let Fabian in on the... uh, that that sweet grocery run that you had uh, not too long ago. <laughs> sure. So in, uh, you know, with a lot of the restaurants and a lot of the places being shut down um, from their traditional business, um, where I am in Maryland, I would say, it, it, I would say probably about 95% of the places that I normally go to um, big and small, have all since the get-go offered some form of either delivery or curbside pickup or uh, walk-in takeout. Um, most of them are doing it pretty well. 
Um, some guys I don't know have have really got it together until recently, but a lot of these guys just kind of hit the ground running and uh, made the most of it. And there were a few that had to close down for a short while that now are back up and running. Now that we're you know a few more weeks along, but some guys. And I would say these are more the traditional sit-down only places like, you know, the spots where you're going to go. You're going to go for a drink. You're going to go. You're going to meet your friends. You're going to do special dinner or, um, you know, for me, these are the spots that um, my cover band would get picked up to do like special events at because they're throwing like an Oktoberfest or they're throwing a New Year's party or some of the nicer events where you'll have a couple hundred people there to do eating, drinking and dancing and just having a good time. Um, this particular spot decided not only to do a takeout menu, um, and, a and, a you know, cocktail menu to go, they then turned around and partnered with their food distributor to basically sell groceries. So they were able to turn around and offer to people, Hey, you're having problems finding flour. We can sell you a 25 pound bag of flour. You're having problems finding yeast? Here's a restaurant-sized thing of yeast for you to do your sourdough with. Um, need eggs? We'll sell them two and a half dozen at a time to you. Um, so at the time, this was a few weeks ago, and I think it's gotten better now, but a few weeks ago was when you know things were really starting to impact most of your grocery stores, whether they were big or small. And that's where you were finding a lot of half empty dairy sections, bread sections, meat departments, definitely uh, frozen foods, that sort of thing. And also all the heavy warnings about social distancing and contact with other people and all that was just getting to be kind of a bit much. Um, So when this popped up on the radar, I said, you know what, this is a great way for me to help support them. I want these guys to stick around. It's a nice place. It's good people that work there. They're making this available. Sure. Let's do it. So I bought like five pounds of ground beef. I bought five pounds of chicken. I bought flour, yeast, eggs, um, and a lot of other things as well. And interestingly enough, they had hand sanitizer. They had large containers of hand sanitizer um, (laughs) that uh, the moment I saw that one, I said, yes, done. And uh, (laughs) I got this like gallon sized container of of hand sanitizer from these guys on top of everything else and um, all for a pretty reasonable price. um, Nothing crazy. And then placed an order and went and picked it up three days later. They threw it in the back of the car when I pulled in. And I've probably taken advantage of it a couple of times. And thankfully, some of my other friends have uh, done the same thing. They've gone to them for uh, some of the baking ingredients. Um, they've gone to them for uh, some meat if they're if they're big on certain cuts that they just aren't finding anywhere else. But that's been kind of a kind of an interesting way to sort of bypass, you know, the 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 issues with uh, so many people using Instacart or other things now with uh, Costco or other places where they just don't have what you're looking for because it, it just goes so quickly. Um, and again, it's a nice way to help support, you know, the local guy and uh, keep him going. Yeah. But, uh, but that's, that's been pretty cool. Cause you can just order everything online. They do two, uh, they got two pickup days during the week. 
and that's worked out pretty well. And then that combined with um, basically like a, an ugly produce service that we signed up with. Um, we're getting a box of like, I think it's something like 40 pounds of fruits and vegetables that are considered like Jeez. not they're not miss america quality for the grocery store but they're perfectly <laughs> but but there's nothing wrong with them they're perfectly good but, and fresh uh, and yeah right. but they're definitely miss congeniality quality that's for sure <laughs> well if that's the case i get more for my for uh, my buck right so the uh so the cool thing about the uh is that between those two things it's it's nice to help support like the local producers and growers and restaurants and all that stuff and uh and take advantage of but what jay's point pointing out is the fact that when i got my first shipment (laughs) everything came in the industrial and hospitality size packaging so i had it all laid out on the counter and i sent it to jay and i think i I sent him like a a picture first of the bag of flour which if you're looking at it you're just kind of going eh. but then when you throw everything else against it you're going jesus that's a 25 pound bag of flour And it's it's like the it's like the size of a of a big and tall bed pillow. It's um it's massive this thing, um, and uh and then you know all the other packaging that they had it was sort of like single packaging for like five pounds of beef, um so even a little more extreme than what you would get at a Sam's or at a Costco. But it was kind of funny. Um, yeah, I remember, you, I remember you looking at it and just going Jesus, what what is that? I know is. <laughs> It was the comparison picture definitely made it, but um, Fabian, are is how's the bar doing? Are they doing any uh kind of supplemental things, or is it pretty much like what's going on down there? So, um, there's a lot to take in, so I have to go into work tomorrow. I have a lot to do. Um, the governor and mayor recently made an announcement. Businesses, bars specifically, and restaurant uh, bars are able to open again uh, uh, starting May 22nd, officially. We will not be opening on that day. I'm going to wait another week before I open up the bar. So we will be active probably May 29th, May 28th. Uh, I've scheduled a like thorough team bar clean tomorrow through Thursday. And we're going to be using medical grade disinfectant uh, for everything, uh, going through all of our product, wiping everything down. And I mean, like pulling all of the inventory out from everywhere that it is and just like dousing it and cleaning it, wiping it down. I've ordered, you know, gloves and masks for the staff and everything so that they feel like they're in a safe and comfortable space when they're at work doing this. Uh, it's super important that, you know, all the staff members be involved, uh, all the employees be involved in, you know, bringing the place where they work, the business uh, that, you know, is responsible for their income in that sense to continue to supply a, you know, a safe, clean, sanitary environment, not just for the guests that make their way into the bar, but for them to work in, to live in, to breathe in, you know, you're spending, uh, arguably, up until the age of, you know, 70, you're spending roughly at least one third of your life at work. And the other third, you're sleeping. So, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, so you know, it's, well, it's, it's, 
it's super important that you know we have that camaraderie and we have that concept of hey we're all in on this we're all doing it so let's make sure that it stays this way and that we all do you know practice these requirements uh, that being said, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting road. Got to discuss a lot of things that have come to the ground via conversation-wise in the community and in the industry. Um, I think that one of the things that's going to be considered and one of the things that may or may not have a very unique backlash is there have been rumblings through the hospitality industry about people coming back and a lot of people thinking that it's maybe still too soon to come back. Yeah. And in doing so, are any of the employers going to offer insurance to the staff if they get this illness? Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big, that's a big, that's a big issue. That's a very big concern and question. Um, I think, I think, unfortunately, the there are going to be some places that appease that, but across the board, the answer is going to be no. Um, I think, you know, any any good business that has you know ethical uh, ownership is going to do everything that whether they do or don't have that insurance for their staff to take care of that individual who does get harmed hoping that nobody does uh i think that that is a large ask if only because of the fact uh, i'm going to say something that may be controversial in nature um this this thing isn't going anywhere. This is here to stay. This is going to be a part of our lives for the rest of us. This is yeah. going to be a coronavirus, a strain of coronavirus, which there's many of them, that is going to continue to mutate and evolve over time, just like MRSA and just like SARS and just like the standard flu that we're accustomed to and the rhinovirus. It's important to recognize that while it is unfortunate that the reality is that close to half a million people die every single year on this earth just from the standard flu as we know it um that is going to happen um i don't i think it's i think it's a big move that this has happened the way that it has and i think it's going to make this nation and many nations reevaluate its healthcare system and what it can or cannot do for the individuals who are responsible for the for its economy being anything that it is um so i'm looking forward to not just the government, but for the individuals who are responsible for the government, which is the people who are the body of the government, whether it be your politicians or just, you know, the active voting or non-voting citizen, uh, you know, having the conversations and discussing it. And this may be kind of evolved or expanded people's positions towards these types of things. So uh, I think that, you know, that's kind of, my take on what's going on with how you know texas is reopening how the nation is reopening what is too soon what isn't too soon some of the stipulations that are present in the mandate and in the recommended protocol i've been looking over and reading i was actually kind of rereading it while the two of you were talking a little bit not that i was ignoring you i was just kind of because i'm getting ready for my day tomorrow what i have to do what i have to prep i have some meetings with ownership tomorrow i have we have to there's a meeting that city council, the city council's having, the stockyards is having, the ownership committee is having a meeting there as well. Um, the USBG, the United States Bartenders Guild, is having a meeting. And they're discussing, you know, what the future future move is for all of that. So yeah. I'm going to have to be involved with quite a few things and a lot of moving parts. And I'm in a unique position where 
I have to, you know, comply with ownership of a business, but also inform ownership of a business that they've never owned before or worked in before how it is they need to run their business. So yeah, that is something that I'm going to track widely and smartly and respectfully as much as is possible. And it's important to me that I be fair to not just ownership, but especially to the people who are responsible for them making any money in the past and hopefully making money in the future um, Here, as a business. Here's a, a question for you, man. Your guys' crew, were they furloughed or were they laid off? So interestingly enough, they were we were they we had them furloughed. The bar did apply for a small business loan at the very beginning and it did get approved. So we've been able to actually maintain in order for the bar to receive that income, uh, that loan in order to keep the business open uh, and to keep the bills paid, they we were able to it was required that I believe it's eighty percent of the loan money go towards payroll right payroll yeah yeah period reason why i ask is because one of the things that was interesting was some of the places that um are near where i live that we were were supporting um as they were opening up as they were bringing guys back you know you'd ask hey how you doing um everybody doing okay just you know just checking to see how how these guys hanging in there and you know one of our favorite spots the guy was quick to say, hey, you know, we're glad to be open, but, you know, we got a lot of guys that didn't, they've opted not to come back. And it was because they they weren't able to furlough them, or I guess that wasn't an option for them with wherever they were at the time. So these guys went on straight up unemployment. And a lot of these guys, at least for the time being, they're if they're getting money, and I say if because, I've you know, I've been furloughed now almost two full months. I've yet to see a single check from the state and I'm not alone. There's, there's easily thousands and thousands of people nationally that are in the same boat. Um, Millions. They're just, they're, yeah, they're just waiting for, for that first payment to come from two months ago for whatever reason. I, I don't want to dive too much into that now, but for these other guys, if they're already getting payment, what they're finding is that, you know, to your point about things like wages and healthcare, and what do we what do we offer guys in certain industries? Um, is it a living wage? Is it you know enough to help them get through when something happens? That sort of thing. Um, well, you got to be careful with that point that you just made. Sorry to interrupt, because a lot of that also comes down to personal responsibility. Of course, of course, right. but 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 Let's, we'll just. I just want to put that asterisk there. Personal well, responsibility is involved in that concept of living wage and putting things away, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let's not. Okay, I don't want to take it into that room. All I'm saying is, guys being able to pay their bills, um, and their ability to either pay their bills or, um, take care of their families, which is the the grander statement here. What some were finding um, for this particular crew at this particular spot is that they were actually going to make more in the immediate from unemployment with the with the extra money that was coming in from the federal side than they were if they were going to go back to work. Right. And so it wasn't. And and thankfully in this case, the management understood. They're like, hey, we get it. That's fine. We we need you back when you can come back, you know, and so they weren't, you know, it wasn't like there was an animus relationship there where guys were going, you know, what the heck, but um, um, 
it was somewhat understandable, especially if you were in a situation where, say, you don't have benefits at all. Let's just say all you're getting is your pay. Which is the majority of working Americans. Then getting that little extra cake counts for a lot. Like, I mean, it it is what it is. You can't you can't tell me that that's not important to somebody if you're going to offer it to them. You know what I mean? Um, And especially when there's such an unknown out there that just sort of makes it a tough decision um, on on what to do. On on that point, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to be that was going to be the next transition I was going to make is, you know, uh, people aren't coming back. Uh, I'm familiar with the location and my location as well, where, you know, individuals who worked there, uh, I sent out a mass, you know, check in on everybody saying, hey, what's going on? So let you know we're going to have a mandatory, you know, you're still you're being paid because of the simple fact that even though you aren't coming into work, you have been receiving a paycheck that represents 80%, 75% of what your standard pay is, what you've been claiming. So you are being paid, right, by your business. Right. Uh, you can still be on unemployment because it's still less than what you've been making. Yeah. But so I said, hey, you know, we're going to be coming in. I need a response from everybody. I didn't get a response. And some other bar managers as well experienced this. And I spoke with them, and this unemployment thing is very unique in that I think people aren't seeing they're, – they're not realizing that this is a – there is no long-term plan to this short-term resolution. Exactly. Right? It, and it's important to recognize that you may be getting money now through this current – you know. Stimulus, you know, put that in quotations because personally, twelve hundred dollars, I'm offended. Twelve thousand dollars worth. Now we're talking, right, about you know taking care of family and taking care of people's needs and taking care of what needs to be done. No. Um, but you know, again, personal responsibility, asterisk. So, <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, and I never got a real clear answer. It's like, so does that mean you are coming back to work or are you not yeah. coming? to work and the response was always something like super vague and super like hidden and non-detail oriented oh well you know with the direction that i'm going and with this unemployment stuff and and with my life and like it's like so basically you're just going to be a moocher is what you're saying I, I it sounds like you're just saying but i need an answer now are you coming back to be a member of the bar team and to be a member of the workforce or are you not with us Oh, well, you know, like the unemployment situation, I got to get it figured out. But I was like, so are you coming back? Are you coming back or not? Yeah, just answer my question. You know, I just need you to answer my question. Like, I just need you to you know, be clear and concise. I'm at the point for me personally and also in this industry in general where I'm not interested in babysitting people. I'm interested in having real grown-up conversations and having real interactions and responses. And I have, you know, an awesome kind of 21 year old that we've groomed and she is that way now and she has guys we've had guys that come in and they will train behind her and you know she'll get a couple shifts behind the bar like but not during busy times she'll bar back when it's busy and she learned to kick ass as a bar back 
but she'll have guys come in and train and she's just wiping the floor with these dudes and i mean from the ages of like 21 to 35 some of these guys came in are like super yoked and super built you know they walk in with their shoulders back chest out and then they walk out from the end of the shift with their shoulders down and chest deflated you know, <laughs> and, and you know, my bar back, she's just there she, looking at these guys. She's like, what is going on? These people are lazy. And I said, listen, think about that. Think about how far along you've come personally to be able to say that about these other grown adults, that you are 21 years old. The cocktail knowledge is supreme and your work ethic is what it is now because not just, you know, I'm not tooting our horn, but we've put effort into because we believed in you to be somebody who can contribute to the workplace and have that ethic and you could be yeah. groomed to that. And now you're seeing these people who think they're, you know, they're bar stars or celebrities or they can rock the show and do whatever they want and just show up and you're just mopping the floor with them and they can't keep up with you. Uh, but I got sidetracked. So <laughs> the, the main point is, sorry, the, the main point is, yes, I think it's a real concern as far as how this is going to develop. I, I think a lot of these people also aren't realizing that this excessive stimulus unemployment package situation that's currently taking place in our nation isn't going to go on for much longer well just the politics if they're paying any attention to the news they've got to know that there's no guarantees with it whether you think it's too much or too little the reality the reality is it's it's not guaranteed, not by the federal it's not. government, it's not. not by the states. I think, you know, to use to use my, you know, state as an example, I feel like our state government has actually done a great job of trying to actively protect everyone. I'm talking they're they're looking at the gig, you know, working guys, the Uber guys, the the Lyft guys, um, folks who are dealing in entertainment that they're you know, they they really don't have that steady flow of either benefits or income. And if they can't work because of whatever situation, you can't do large events, you can't do entertainment, you can't do any of that stuff. These guys are, they're they're not going to have a job. And, and they're trying to, I think, take all those different things into account. But, you know, you sit back, anybody who can look at a balance sheet is going to know that somebody somewhere at some point is going to say, you know, the prime question, which is, okay, where are we going to get the money? And it's either you're putting things to the side and saying, well, we'll deal with these other things later. we got to take care of people right now. Or it's it's a matter of something else um, having to be dipped into. Or it's, as in the case of some states, they're, they're turning around, they're looking at the federal government to say, hey, guys, we need some help to get this done. And then you right. can see right out the gate where that alone has already been made a partisan issue, where you, right. have, guy, you have guys – accusing other states legit or not fact-based or not of mismanaging their state and um it's it's become sort of this this weird pissing contest at a time when frankly it just shouldn't be about that but yeah it's really interesting how like you have this there's this large community that thinks that uh you know government everything is bad but why isn't the government giving people more money well, there's also the the flip side of it too, right? Where you have guys that live in certain areas that are all about small business or not small business, but small government, get out of my life, get out of whatever. And what they don't realize is that where they live, they're 
part of the larger recipients of all federal money. Oh yeah, federal funding. Yeah, I mean, the reason that, those roads, the reason those out. roads, the reason those roads exist, the reason you know the landscaping exists the way that it does is because of federal funding. Now that isn't everywhere, but you know that is the majority of what this nation is, and I think that you know people kind of lose track of that. It isn't to say that you know government oversteps. Of course it does. You know anybody who's in any position of power look through history and you know take a strong look at our future that is going to happen has happened and will continue to happen to overstep any position of power that is there uh but well, it's I a think, balance right 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 and i think that you know my main concern here for me personally is uh i, I was kind of alluding to this earlier is we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that this is something that is here to stay Unfortunately, people are going to lose their lives. I had a very close friend of mine. She actually lost her best friend to this, uh, living in LA. Uh, she just dropped on the floor. Uh, they found out that Jeez. she was also she was also asthmatic, so she wasn't quite sure what her. So there's lots of complications that happen. That, you know, there's lots of interworking parts, interlocking parts, you know, that happen, and. But I think one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to have to live with the with with this as part of our everyday lives, the same way we live with the flu and the same way we live with every other, you know, virus that does spread at this level. Unfortunately, I think the wrong step is to uh, I think I think it's important that people do go back to work. But I think it's also super important that we start not just practicing government enforced regulations but people have to take personal responsibility. If you don't feel that it's safe to go out and you feel uncomfortable, then don't go out. And if you do go out, if you feel that way, take the steps, wear the mask, keep your hands clean, bring hand sanitizer, do all the things that are necessary. If you're an employer, you better be sure, in my opinion, that if you're having individuals come back to an, you know, uh, a place of work that you are doing everything possible to make sure that their place of work is safe, is sanitary, is healthy, yeah. as is reasonably possible. Being reasonably possible is super important, you know, and, and that you can supply that to your customers and or guests that make their way into your establishment or business, whatever have you. And if those steps aren't taken, then for sure we're talking about legal ramifications. But if those steps are taking, how much more of you know people's livelihood, how much of just living life are we really willing to take away here? I think um, I, th I think you're hitting on an interesting spot because sort of the the back end of this, right, in terms of this larger discussion on how fast and you know how slow should we reopen all these industries and what changes need to be made within those industries and stuff like that. Um, there's a separate conversation that occurs about, well, what about liability? Well, who's going to be liable if my guys get sick? Are you going to raise my healthcare premiums because suddenly I run a warehouse and I lose my crew or I work, you know, I run a meat packing facility and I'm losing out on all my guys or whatever's going on. Who's going to flip the bill for that? Or am I going to turn around and get sued? Um, for not providing a safe workplace, but I, part of me is just like, you know, just just don't be, don't engage in the douchebaggery. I think there's a little bit of a reasonable expectation that you you know, employers and businesses should be ensuring that their people are coming to work in as safe an environment as they can provide. 
um, or at least be very transparent about what they can and can't do so that they have the option if they're not comfortable with it to say, hey, I can't do that. And I, and I, I can assure you, Fabian, this is a conversation I'm having to have with myself um, already because given where I'm at, given that I'm in the position of here we are seven, eight weeks in, I haven't gotten any unemployment. You know, part of me is worried, you know, I may let me let me back up. There's a couple of things that may happen. One is I get a call back and says, hey, are you ready to come back to work? And I could say, yeah. sure. What are the circumstances? Are we going to have people go back into the office? Are we going to stay home? Are we going to telework? When are we going to go back? And what's it going to look like when we do that? Because I know what our offices look like. I know how close everybody sits. I know how many people are sitting in there. I know how many call centers we have in there. And it's it's not going to be the same or can't be the same based off what everybody's talking about. And then couple that with, um, you know, is that an allowance that's going to be made or am I going to be told, hey, this is what it is. Here you go. And then, uh, you know, it's 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 a complicated bit. I, I have no doubt that you guys, especially in trying to make sure you get your good employees back, are going to try to ensure that that part of that relationship stays the way it always should be, which is you want to take care of those folks that help take care of you and your business. Right. Um, whether it's pay, whether it's just you got their back, whether it's you're just looking out for them, whether it's you're just trying to help them do whatever. Um, and I, I think for the most part, a lot of people want to do that. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully they'll get there. What I can't stand are what we've already seen in a couple instances where customers, I think, are overstepping um, those grounds and I think are expecting too much of the employees or the places that they're heading back to or they're completely resisting what are otherwise, I think, private policies that are being put in place by businesses to say, hey, listen, guys, we need you to wear a mask or we need you to, you know, make an appointment or we need you to engage in these different behaviors. Yes, we know you want to come back. Yes, we want your business. But these have to be the ground rules. And I'd say on the most on on the one hand, the majority of people are more than willing to abide by it because everybody has their eyes open and sees what the hell is going on. Um, but there are always those those few folks that, you know, they're, they're the ones that they get pissed off when they can't get on the plane first. They, they're the ones that get pissed off when, you know, that the coffee's just a little too hot for their hands. They're the ones that get a little pissed off when, you know, someone forgets their fries and they decide that's reason to, you know, blow up at somebody. It's like, it's like, relax, would you? Take a deep breath to <laughs> think about it and be smart. Everybody's just trying to get by, you know? Uh, I think um, I, I think I think you hit it on the head there. I think it's also super. Uh, it is it is critical in my opinion that uh, you know we've always had this thing here in the United States. I, I don't know if anybody's done any traveling abroad about having this uh, personal space bubble when you're interacting with other people. Right now you have very uniquely people who are aggressively trying to break that bubble it's like if you've ever done any traveling to europe or south america or to other countries though you'll notice that there's a difference in space between a conversation being had at least mm-hmm. there was you know yeah and now because of this whole you know you know health situation and and cleanliness situation you know, that's been impacted drastically, but you have these individuals who are aggressively, you know, 
claiming that none of it's true or claiming that it's just a hoax or claiming that, you know, they don't have to follow these regulations. What they're doing is they're getting in your face and they're trying to be, you know, really up close to you. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, there is such a thing as having personal space. There is such a thing as honoring what that is and understanding, you know, what those cultural, you know, uh, you know, spaces are, you know, you, you have to think at, on an almost, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say anthropological level, but I just call it not being a douche. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> I think I think this is being overlooked a lot. But what I wanted to get at was I was reading, you know, some of the protocols that a lot of these business establishments have, especially for the bar scene. And it's interesting. It says no groups greater than six. And there are not to, and if there is any group, there's no loitering at the bar top, right? You can sit at the bar top if there is a designated seat. Okay. Right. And the, any group that is at the bar top cannot be greater than a group of six. And it cannot, they cannot be within six feet of one another. So that's a lot of real caveat. estate at a bar top. Well, here's one. the, here's the caveat to that. Let's say that we try to follow those regulations, right? My question is, right, let's say you have three groups of four or three groups of three. Well, let's take it to five groups of three. You have five groups of three at the bar seated, right? What happens when one of those groups, somebody in that group of three is friends with two of the people in the other group of three? And they say, oh, let's just all sit together. Am I looking at them and telling them, no, you're not allowed to sit together as a group? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, assumption of who who assumes the liability. assumption of responsibility yeah. and liability in yeah. any of these situations. And that's where you run down a rabbit hole. And so that's here, what I try to keep out of because you can you, – it's uh, – you – Ultimately, it's going to be up to each place to establish what they're comfortable with. And then it's the enforcement. So how strict of enforcement are you going to do? So as long as you're laying that out, you just got to stick to it. But it is that whole it is very blurry and fuzzy on what do we do and how do we approach this? Because that's a great example. I mean, yes, technically, they're still within the parameters of a group of six people. But then... So Fabian, here's here's how I think one place is doing it out in Ocean City, Maryland. If I if I'm understanding what they're setting up correctly, they're abiding by all the uh, social distance requirements that have been put in place in the state. But part of how they're doing that is they're requiring every entrant into their establishment or into their space because this is a this is a bar with obviously an indoor outdoor setup. <laughs> they're they're requiring every person to basically wear a rolling inner tube um in what? their spot like they basically took what are inner tubes uh-huh. and modified them to be on wheels uh-huh so that people can roll like they sit about waist high so what they've all got bumper belts they're basically wearing a big ass bumper belt but the but the thing is is it helps keep them from either unknowingly uh, invading someone else's space or someone else doing the same to them. It keeps everybody at an equal distance apart from each other. 
I don't know that they put in the requirement that you could only be at the countertop. You could only be here or there. I don't, I don't know that I've dug that far uh, to know for sure. But mm-hmm. the point is, is people, they showed there were like a number of people that were just like, yep, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're just climbing in and, you know, it is it is what it is. Um, but what was interesting was they modified the inner tube set on the inside portion. Mm-hmm. was like space for them to set their drink and their food. Well, of course. So they've got this little this little gap there where they can set we're, their We're stuff. not savages, Keith. Well, it's well, kind of funny because if you ever liked Ron Swanson and his episode where he had the circular desk, it's kind of funny because you could totally just spin in a circle and have a different appetizer all the way around you. It was great. <laughs> I love that. I love I love that episode. I love that character. That's a good one. And, and on that note, uh, there's a, a, a series of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven appetizers here on screening of employees and contractors uh, for the business. Um, so that means before every single shift, they need, need to be screened. Send home any employer contractor who has any of the following new or worsening signs or symptoms of possible COVID-19. One, cough. Two, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. Three, chills. Four, repeated shaking with chills. Five, muscle pain. Six, headache. Seven, sore throat. Eight, loss of taste or smell. Nine, diarrhea. Ten, Feeling feverish or measured temperature greater than or equal to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. 11. Known close contact with a person who is lab confirmed to have COVID-19. Do not allow employees or contractors with the newer worsening signs or symptoms listed above to return to work until... And then there's like three paragraphs stipulating when they're allowed to work to to return to work. So... Mm -hmm. Before and after every single shift for these bars and these businesses, every single employee needs to be screened for all of those things. Yeah. Listen, it's like there's a certain point where it's like, hey, if you're feeling ill, you need to go home and not, you know, get other people sick. And this is something that existed in this industry long before this COVID situation, right? Don't be the jerk and get other people sick. Yeah. Just don't do it, right? But now it's like, if if one of my lazy, you know, if I'm if I'm a business owner or a manager, and I know I have an employee who kind of like is a slacker and is always looking for a reason to go home, comes to me and tells me they have a headache, or tells me that they have a headache before they come into work, I'm fucked, because what are they? What's going to happen here? Yeah. What's gonna? Am I going to say? You know. Are they really having a headache? You know, you can't you can't prove the next day that you had a headache. That's not how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody comes into work and say, "Yeah, my head's kind of been hurting," and they put on the sad eyes and you know the mopey face. You know, now you're you're stuck out of an employee. And well, have- I think that's where some of the guys too. What the the, the trade off to your point there is that. Some of these businesses are going to have to decide is their requirement then if you're that guy who shows up on a Monday and says, hey, I have diarrhea and I think it's related to COVID um, is the caveat that then you're saying, OK, great. I need you to go get a test. 
I need you to go get checked out um, and don't sit on it and let us know how it goes. Any <clears throat> any responsible employee is going to want to say, yeah, let me make sure I'm good to go. Any good employer is going to want to know who they can and can't rely on for their crew, I would imagine. For then, sure. But now and, you're... Now, but here's the situation though. Now you're stuck out of an employee for at least three days because they're going to the doctor to get this figured out. And then for the, and then for the return of the labs for what it is. Yeah. And that's where I think business needs to keep the pressure on the administration to figure out testing and to figure out tracing and all this sort of stuff. And, and that's a whole other rabbit hole. We could spend hours um, going back and forth on that one, but that's why the key to this whole thing hinges immensely on the ability of people to know and have assurance, be it a customer, a worker, a business owner, whomever, on, hey, is this thing under control for my situation? Is it under control for my crew? Is it under control for my business? Or am I about to lose my whole workforce, whether I want to open or not? Because my bartender or my waitress or, you know, my cook or whomever came in, happened to be asymptomatic and got the rest of the crew sick. Like, you screw whatever takeout business you think you're going to have or whatever table service you think you may be able to accommodate. If your whole crew goes, you're toast. And so this whole thing, and, you know, that's that's applying to smaller retailers like in, in my line of work in my business – we tend to have maybe one, two employees in a shop, and you know you'll see customers in mass at different times of the day. It's never a lot, mm-hmm. but the reality is, if 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 you have a store that's reliant on two, three employees at most to get through a week, and just by virtue of a meeting to talk about reopening, somebody's asymptomatic. Gets the other two sick. Now you're really yeah. up the creek, right? Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is why this whole argument over testing and tracing I think is important. And I and frankly, I think the pressure needs to be on local, state, federal authorities to to try and help figure that one out and and ensure, um, you know, that we have the means. Whether it's the the initial testing, whether it's the materials to actually get the results, whether it's the efficiency of the testing sites within the states. No. If they're if they're taking a week to get it done, that's not going to cut it. It's just not. And they 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 should not accept that. And employees shouldn't accept that either. Um if uh if it's taking you know a day or two, maybe that's maybe that's one thing. But the the goal should be to strive to make that as fast and as simple and accurate as possible there was a thing about a guy today on the news this poor guy's been stuck on a cruise ship for months because yeah, <laughs> because right. he, because because the u.s government won't let him off the boat until he has two consecutive negative tests and so he's been tested more than a dozen times but every time he gets tested he gets a different result yeah. <laughs> the tests are trash. The, the tests, yeah. The tests are faulty, and this is yeah. this is a big issue. This is this yeah. is it's a this mega is issue. Where you, this is where you look at the guys who are conspiracy theorists, and you're like, what's that boat look like?" <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, let me get on that boat and see if I agree with any of these things. But, uh, you know, and that's me saying it jokingly, but it, it, it is concerning. That is very disconcerting that that is how this is being handled and that, you know, somehow we're getting we're getting science through committee and science through political decision as opposed to understanding that the, right. the importance of science is doing things a specific way, whereas the answer doesn't care about your opinion. Well, and yeah. take it one step further too, right? So we're talking about it from an economic and a business standpoint because as adults, that's what we care about. Let's take it now to a parental standpoint. We've already got leadership talking about, well, we got to get kids back in school. And it's like, no. okay, great, but you first, dude. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't remember how it was for anybody else, but I can remember having to get a physical and vaccinations just to even talk about going to a meeting of the chess club, you know. Um, <laughs> the point was that, that's me making a joke. But the point I know, I know. To do any activity of yeah. any kind, any kind within the school district, much less attend classes, you had to be vaccinated. You had to be up to date. You had to have a physical. You had to have. You know, you, you couldn't have any form of a physical threat to anybody else in order to meet the entrance criteria, even for public school. OK, so to sit back and talk about, hey, let's cram as many kids as we can back into classrooms when we know we don't have the facilities. It's ludicrous to assume we're going to put desks six feet apart. And I have a small side note on this that I'll, that I'll share in a moment. But we don't have the staff, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the infrastructure to make right. that work right now. And it's unfair. Yeah, they're not popping up schools. We don't even have the funds to properly pay the people who take care and babysit and educate our children nine hours exactly. a day as it is. And you want them to do more? Okay. Exactly. Right. And so so let me let me mention then one bit that I did see. And this came from a buddy of mine. And I believe this is 100% true. Um, in his county, mm -hmm. um, this particular elementary school was putting out kind of a preemptive video about how they were going to open up and what it was going to look like for kids when they came back. Mm -hmm. And so it starts off, I guess, reasonable enough. And what they're, what they're talking is, Hey, you're not going to open the doors anymore. Like a staff member wearing PPE is going to bring you from your car to the entrance, we'll sign you in. Um, everybody's gonna need to sanitize their hands on the way in. Um, they've changed the traffic flows of the hallways so that they have to go one way, so that people can try to to you know keep their distance from each other between lockers on either side, and then yeah. the foot the foot traffic to get to class. Which okay, good luck with that one. But. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking these are elementary school kids, like good luck. But um, the uh, the part where it, it just went off the rails for me was when they showed here's what the classroom is going to look like. And you've got this desk in the center of the room, six feet from wherever the teacher is. Mm -hmm. And that's OK. But then you space out enough distance for any other seats in there. They had to take a camera view from like the far corner in the back of the room to show the now only half dozen desks that fit in the classroom uh, compared to what you probably had in there before. And it's, 
And, and and I just think about schools that they have kids meeting in trailers. They have a meeting in, you know, these uh, partitioned spaces yeah. Yeah. Um, where it's not walls. It's like a, a pullover wall that, that can be put out and taken back if you need to, to open the space. And I'm just like, get out of here. You know, that's that's not going to work, man. So it's, on a, it's just not. On a deeper, on a deeper you know biological level i think one of my concerns is that we're creating the same thing that we created with the peanut allergy um i'm not saying that you need to be sure that everybody gets exposed to it but there was a time period where doctors not doctors but there was this myth going around that women eating peanuts would hurt their children and then you have this time period then after where children that were born during that gap during that period where it was recommended and where they got this fake news that they should not eat any peanuts guess what allergy those kids have a peanut allergy right so now we're doing this thing where we're telling kids that they can't be exposed to just you know basic interacting bacteria basic interacting you know immunity cells with each other and from their own body when you eliminate this is the main reason why elderly and lots of other people who are not exposed to society or exposed to, you know, the world and nature as itself mm-hmm. contract diseases and contract viruses much faster. Their immuno system, they, they are immunodeficient. They, their system is not educated. It is not learned. It is not evolved and is not experienced what is necessary in order to fight back and to, you know, what happens yeah. obviously there yeah. are certain viruses and right. diseases and everything else where your body just can't be and it needs help or sometimes you know it's just it, it, it is what it is but we're starting to do this thing where we are under exposing children and under exposing humans to the very thing that has actually been able to keep us alive for tens of hundreds of thousands of years throughout the evolutionary chain and throughout time. And this goes for every other species of animal as well, right? There's a reason why certain species are immune to the things that we're not immune to, and vice versa. It's because of exposure that has happened over time. And I'm not saying it's okay for people to die for it, but the reality is people and life is going to pass away from it. So my main concern is that what happens not this generation, but like 20 years from now, those kids grow up and they and they start having kids. What kind of future is that going to be for them where they are like super unexposed, right? So any type, like if they travel to, you know, Canada or to any other country where they have to be getting immunization shots and who knows if those immunization shots get them sick or all of these other steps that have to be taken because they are incapable of just doing the basic bacterial, you know, microbiology bio, you know, level of self-defense. This is a concern that I have, and it sounds like kind of maybe long-winded, maybe conspiracy theory-esque, but these are things that happen. When you don't have people exposed to certain things, that is when they are more likely to then catch that contagion and it be a problem for them. And we know this well, just that poses. You're posing the argument about the whole like herd immunity bit. And and part of the problem with this is this virus isn't acting or behaving in the same way based on this is coming from what I've read and, and 
what I've caught in conversations. Right. Full disclosure, neither what, none of us are doctors. So that's none of us are doctors, yeah. so take it for what it is. But what has come across in some of these conversations with these folks is they're saying, listen, that under normal rules, yeah, the idea of for you sure. know, passing around the common cold, not a big deal. The idea of if not everybody gets a flu shot, it's not the end of the world. Okay, that's that normally. Or the old chicken pox parties. Right, or the old chicken pox parties, absolutely. But the problem with this is that this is not behaving the way epidemiologists would normally As expect we know something it, like right. this, right, would want it to behave, and they just don't know. Right. And so I, I, I got you. I, trust me, I don't want to have my kids sitting in a bubble, um, you know, first of all, not, not being kids. Second of all, not getting to experience their friends and things like that. Like my, you know, my kids are not school age. And I think for the last two months, we've been able to sort of, I don't want to say escape by, but the fact that they're not spending time with dozens of other kids every day is kind of lost on them because they're not in school. But that said, you know, even as recently as today, you know, my son, we're sitting down, he's like, you know, he's just asking the question, like, you know, when will we be able to have dinner with our friends? You know, he mm-hmm. just wants to know, like, when can we when can we have dinner with our friends? Because we've, you know, we've Your friends are dirty, disease carrying vermin. <laughs> <laughs> Never allowed we'll, over. We'll do it when your uncle Jay washes his hands. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, he he wants to know. Yeah. What he he's noticing little bits about it. Now he's been very receptive to the other behavioral bits, like you know we're pressing him on washing his hands a lot more we're pressing you know he's not going to the store with daddy which was a big thing um i'd say in the in the year leading up to this is if i was going to the grocery store he came with me if we were going out and about i had no problem bringing him or his sister with me to go anywhere um and now it's like nope i'm going i'm going solo or if we're going anywhere it's for curbside and so we'll be in the car but we're all going to be hanging out and nobody's getting out. And then, you know, on top of that, um, <laughs> there's the even more sort of frightening reality, which was sort of fitting him for a homemade mask um, to get him yeah. to get him kind of set up for that. And uh, and ha- <laughs> I, could, I could assure you that was a that was a little bit of a jolt watching him put that on. But then, you know, I had to take a step back. And say, you know, to him, it's not a big deal. He, all he knows is daddy's wearing a mask. I want to wear a mask too. And if if I if I head out anywhere, even if he's not, if nobody's getting out of the car, if he knows I have mine, he wants to know where his is, and he's bringing it, bringing it with him, and yeah. uh, he'll he'll put it on for for part of the ride or or whatever. But um, or like when we went for a hike the other day, we went outside and everybody was staying apart from each other. But there's a trail that we did. And he's had to keep it on the whole time um, when we went out because folks would come by and not be wearing stuff. And some did and some didn't, but some are coughing, some are not. And, you know, he just had to had to have it on. Um, but it wasn't that big a deal to him. But anyway, I I, I don't want to get too winded on that. But, I, you know, it's just this is a whole sort of it's just it, it this helps to highlight just how unprecedented this whole thing is there isn't an easy fix to any yeah. of it and there isn't going to be an easy way out um for a lot of this stuff and i think it's going to require some 
personal decision-making about a lot of things, about whether or not people want to go back to work, about whether or not they want to send their kids somewhere, whether or not they want to make decisions as a family to do certain things or or whatever. Um, you know, to, to put it on kind of a personal note, I've known folks that they've made that trek to go visit grandma or to go visit whomever or to go have family dinner one Sunday because three weeks, four weeks, five weeks apart was too long. Um, and, you know, I, I'll i be honest, I don't know when the next time I'm going to see my brother in person or my parents is going to be because yeah. because of, uh, of of our own relative situations. It's just like, do it. Do we want to do we want to do that um, or can we just figure out some other way to work it? There's going to be all kinds of decisions that folks are going to have to make for themselves and decide what they want to do. But the the need is going to be there in mass for the health system, for the government, for the the different channels that support people to help lend some better support on this in the form of testing, in the form of actually managing against what's going on in their area, um, and just ensuring that we're not setting ourselves up for for what's now being talked about here we are in may and the biggest concern yeah you can basically tell they've kind of moved on from the spring and everything that's going on now they're already putting their eyes on what's going to happen when october hits um and trying to see what's going on now the good news is the supply lines and the know-how and all that should be there and it and maybe it's not as bad as as everybody thinks but then again, maybe it is because I, my humble opinion, I think one of the bigger threats is places that haven't had to experience it yet um, may may find themselves a bit surprised by what happens just just for lack of experience. Yeah. But um, but who knows? Who knows what that'll be? But kids can't stay inside forever. Um, if you're in a two income household, you can't have both parents at home teleworking forever somebody's gotta at some point you gotta open up a daycare at some point you gotta do the things that allow people to to take care of their families or i mean or, humans can't stay inside forever and I, and I think we've known this even with the you know regulation and being enforced you know we have an excessive amount of people who have been you know not going and doing shopping or getting things as actually needed you know and, it's all uh, those gamers. Yeah, because they're the ones getting out of the house, right? Um, Where do I go? Well, we actually had our our oldest had a little bit of a uh, I don't know what to call it, but um, we were we finished up watching um, Mandalorian with them last night, and it was like eight forty five. It was close to their bedtime. Um, and we're like, all right, go upstairs, you know, time to go to bed. And she saw the um, ad for the documentary series that they were running for making of the, the, the series. So she really loves that stuff. And uh, she's like, can we just watch one episode? And we're like, no, it's late. And she was just like, like, what's it matter? It's not like we're going to do anything tomorrow. Uh, or, or I have I basically it was boiled down to I have nothing to wake up to look forward to when I wake up tomorrow. 
we're or, just gonna sit around the I house. I have nothing uh, to wake up to tomorrow. Like I can wake up whenever I want. Right. Even though we would still, yeah. But it was like, uh, all we're gonna do is sit on the iPad and do educational apps, and you know what we're trying to do for their quote unquote school and learning. Um, and we were just like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh what? Um, but you know, she was trying to explain, and we, you know, we're just like, look, it's this is your bedtime, okay? So go upstairs. It's yeah. time for bed. But you know her. Her point was taken and, you know, it's been two months and she's like, you know, later she was like, at least, you know, when there's school, you know, you're going and you're doing stuff and all that and you go to school and, um, but, you know, this is just, you know, they're doing the, you know, same thing every day, it seems like. So we're like, yeah, well, she's like, well, can we do something fun? It's like. Your idea of fun and going and doing something fun is not really possible right now. Yeah. So we'll do the probably. So no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, even uh, even if it wasn't, it's, you know, we're like, that's totally different and we'll do what we can. But, you know, definitely can't promise anything now. I'll tell you what was fascinating was that in, I don't know how it is in, in Texas where you're at, Fabian, but. Um, I got some friends who live in the Carolinas where they were talking about having like baseball practice and and group activities. Uh, were don't all, even get me they, started on. They were starting back up already. COVID nineteen. No, 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 no. I'm talking like kids, like the kids okay. programs. Um, that yeah, no, they're don't. already starting some of these back up, and I'm there is none of that on the horizon where where we live. Like the it, not just my state, but my specific county um, is. It's basically an epicenter within the state, so it's uh, so it's um, it's not number one, but it's uh, it's up there, and so everybody else is kind of starting to loosen up some things, and we're still yeah. sticking to it. So they delayed all our, they just blanket delayed everything till the fall. This was the first year that uh, Miles was going to do like T-ball and stuff, mm. and they just they pushed it. Uh, so here's the other one I don't get is so you know some of the colleges around the country some of them have already said blanketly we're not going to expect anyone back on campus until January like I think they figure they they're going to play it safe they don't want the liability <clears throat> and it's not just the liability let me let me put it this way it's not just the liability of hey do we have students come back and potentially get sick think about the expense of reconfiguring dorms, athletic facilities, classrooms, um, any yeah. place that anybody can sit to accommodate um, what are being called, you know, the, the, these new behaviors and these new expectations. If you could potentially write it out for six to eight months and get to a place where you don't have to do any of that <laughs> and people will be fine or, or you can deal with it um, mm -hmm. in a much more economical fashion, that just kind of makes sense. Um, what doesn't quite make so much sense to me are some of the decisions that are happening where some, you know, it's one thing if guys are saying, hey, we're going to open up in the fall like normal. But then there were a couple, um, one of them most notably was uh, University of South Carolina saying, 
well, we're going to have people back in the fall, but after Thanksgiving, we're going to send everybody home and have them do it remote. And I'm like, well, then what the hell's the point? <laughs> what, what, yeah. what the hell do you, you think is going to happen after Thanksgiving that could potentially happen, you know, um, a month or two prior? That just doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, going back to experience, South Carolina was a state that on, you know, the, the overall outlook didn't really deal with a whole lot of this this issue so it's not in my humble opinion i just don't think it's on their radar i don't think it's it's something that um they've really had to cope with yet outside of the inconvenience of closing colleges and and putting certain restrictions um on different well, they things. still had like the medical stuff in some parts of the state where you know they're not allowing family in and and stuff like that where if someone's admitted um, it's just them, um, you know, the, the, the normal kind of, well, now normal precautions that have been taking place in the hospitals. Well, let's just put it this way. I think, I think some of the more vocal, uh, um, <laughs> I'm thinking of a, I'm thinking of an old Kathleen Madigan joke here, um, that I'll tell you in a second, but you ever watch Kathleen Madigan? Can't stand her. I don't know who that is. Well, she's a, she's a comedian out of Missouri. Is she, um, is she a comedian or is she just a, <laughs> is she just somebody saying things with a certain rhythm in her speech? I like her, but here's here's the uh, you know nothing. Here's the bit. Here's the bit that she talks about at one point. She you talks about comedy. she talks about being from the Midwest and how um, back where she you know back where she was from, people used to do an activity called uh, I think she called it noodling where folks will actively go into the river and will basically swim and feel around in the mud and in the pluff to find where the catfish are and or or where fish are and will basically like find their the holes that they're in and like reach in and pull them out well Think about a catfish and think about how big some of these damn things get. And then think about some of these bodies of water <laughs> that are in the Midwest. They're pretty strong currents and the catfish get pretty damn big. And so this activity is relatively dangerous. So there were some places that were trying to basically ban this from being a thing. And of course, you had like a noodlers association. According to the joke, there's a noodlers association that got interviewed God. And a guy's being asked on camera, hey, so, so, sir, would you, would you like to explain your position? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you my position. If I want to put my hand in a hole and catch a fish, you tell me why I can't. <laughs> you oh, know? <laughs> and that's, and that's kind wow. of, that's kind of <laughs> relevant in a lot of ways to a lot of things right now um, around this whole uh, bit. So, who knows the the college infrastructure is kind of blown for for anybody going into college right now the the public yeah. school infrastructure is going to be a whole guessing game for right now well nobody um, asked but it's in- really weird how all of these you know division 1 schools suddenly don't have any student athletes that they can give scholarships to because you know there's no athletes for them to give scholarships to because there's no fucking students at <laughs> colleges it's um yeah, yeah. NCAA get at me 
Yeah, no, I just think it's John Oliver. Extra extra year of eligibility. What? It's it's a free, and you know what? It's a free farming system for a lot of programs. And there's that problem. And then also, I think, like, it needs to go back to being a scholarship program if you're going to have it for students. I think it's a great perk, and I think it's nice that we do these things and that we get to enjoy sports, first world problems for sure. But the yeah. fact that these colleges and universities got away from the fact that the whole purpose of their prestige isn't about performing a physical, enjoyable thing. It's about increasing the mental prowess and ethical prowess and character of the individuals that go through their program is really disheartening because now you can see that they didn't care anything at all about the quality of individuals that they were pumping out into our society. You've just lost the SEC there, Fabian. Yeah. The SEC doesn't even know <laughs> doesn't even know who, what it is. Where who is a uh, Oklahoma? I, I challenge I challenge you to ask any quote unquote student athlete from the SEC what that acronym is for, and I bet you three out of four times you get the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> the the, opinion, the opinions expressed that. on amateur dads are purely the exp- <laughs> the opinions of the commentator and not part of a larger agenda or program being put out by this program. All amateur dads guests all have uh, independent opinions of the, <laughs> of the host of said show. Uh, right. Anyway, um, I forgot what to say. Oh, nobody asked anything about what Virginia was doing, so I'll go ahead and tell you. Um, I don't know, but Fairfax County, who's the next one, oh, next county over, they um, pretty much, there are three modes of uh, operandi here. Don't do anything and just go do normal. Delay or uh, do virtual at the beginning of the year until I don't know when. Or decrease class size and do the whole uh uh, opener area. I don't know how. I, I just don't know. The how third one was um, the the you know distanced uh, desk and uh, you know that. So, um, but yeah, that's what is being shot around there. And all I'm saying is, after all this nonsense, there better not be a single case of anybody suffering from social anxiety because that's going to be a bullshit argument going <laughs> going forward. Yeah, <laughs> I said it. Yeah, no, it. I mean, for some folks, it could be, but that's a whole deeper level. But that's uh, the that would be the exception. But yeah, if you're getting constant complaints about, yeah, there's just so many people around, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm lazy piece folks, of shit. Get back to work. What I have to commend folks for, and you know, it, it does go more towards the arts or something where it's skills or something creative, and it's, but folks that have adapted to the environment and found a new way to do what they were doing before, just different. So, like my neighbor was outside in our, um, and he was listening to a Instagram live where a guy from a tribe called Quest was DJing. And like, uh, there's a, one of my teammates is a big EDM guy and he's like, yeah, they're, 
doing shows online or um, you know like artists doing sketch alongs or people that were doing shows on the web I mean they pretty much didn't change their life at all except they can't go outside but uh, you know where where folks have been able to adapting and doing the best that they can yeah that kind of I mean that that kind of feeds into the, you know the idea of do we think that people are going to try to act responsibly or or not at all or what's going to happen it's I think it's just going to be kind of a, a mishmash depending on what has been the experience to this point in the communities where people live have they had to deal with it have it has it been more of an inconvenience or has it been a necessary step um and then how how are they able to cope with it my my suspicion is that what we're going to find as time goes on when it comes to things like say the ability of schools to adapt to this issue i think we're going to find that there's going to be a disparity between more affluent areas that you know they can afford to give every kid a tablet or a computer or, or something yeah. to, to, to take home um, and give them access to software or there's there's uh, access to, and this has been a big problem for years access to broadband um, and then different areas where school districts can't afford to give every kid a machine or um, they don't have the the right level of network access to run apps or to do a, like we're doing now, uh, you know, chat with each other online. Um, you know, they're just not going to have the connection. I, I think there's the potential um, for some of those sorts of rifts to exist that I think folks have an opportunity now to maybe recognize and try and fix. Um, the part that makes all of this hard, it'd be one thing if there were just a pandemic to deal with. The problem that it, the problem that it's a pandemic and an economic, um, you know, rut at the same time means you got to choose which fire you're going to try and deal with. And unfortunately, everything's on fire <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. And so and so that's that's not going to make for any kind of a quick fix um, for anybody. I just don't see it. But um and it's just going to keep going. It's 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 really the the long the long game. You know who's planning for because you know summer. Even, okay, related to sports. If you want to relate to sports, summer you got a whole bunch of sports going on. But then you hit the like even parts in there where it's like, yeah, we're taking breaks here. They're not doing stuff. We'll go ahead and do and it's so lax and. But then once September, late August, September comes, it's like, okay, all that nice fun stuff's done. We're getting to the serious stuff now for our year. And you have school starting back up. You know, the highways all get congested again because school's back in session. And, you know, if we're not, if, if, if there's no plans for fall or if they're not really figuring out what's going to happen there, then none of we're not that's going to change anytime soon yeah yeah then the uh the 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 carryover on all this on so many different things like businesses and schools on communities and all that sort of stuff is just going to be uh, i think just 
an interesting time in which folks are going to, in some way, shape, or form, need to step up. Um, they're going to need to sort of take charge of what's going to be acceptable for them and their family. Um, whatever end of the spectrum they 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 live on politically, socially, whatever, I think they're going to have to decide what is acceptable for them and their family and figure out how to how to work that. The other nice, the other uh, part that I think they're going to have to figure out is um, are we getting the response from our leadership that we need to get on this to really move the you know move the ball um i don't think it's i don't think this is a situation where anybody needs to have all the answers i don't think this is a situation where anybody has all the answers definitely I think, not but i think this is a situation where people need to be willing up to say we're going to try and figure this out we're going to try and figure this out together we're going to try and and we were going to make some mistakes along the way but we're going to try and, and do this in a way that, you know, um, as few as few people are going to get left behind as possible um, and just see what what we can what we can do. You know, we we haven't had too many times in our in, in our life, at least I don't feel like I have where I've had to sit back and figure out, you know, am, am I in this situation with everybody else um, all at once? Yeah, I had one of my uh, the the. One of the previous episodes was our philosophizing or whatever you want to call it, but I was like, this is the shared experience of the entire world. You know, you're not good uh, unless they're not alive at this point. You're not going to be like, hey, how you bring it up and they're not going to know what you're talking about. Right. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad we had another light, fun episode, guys. Well, you know, we make fun of it, but I think it's also, you know, important to not kind of overlook these topics and to not be able to supply, you know, opinions, viewpoints, and perspectives based off of really what is opinions, viewpoints, and perspective from personal experience and from shared experience for those people surrounding us and the individuals that we have the opportunity to speak with. That's, you know, you, me and any other extended people that we have to communicate with. And I like keeping it light as well, but I think sometimes, especially in situations like this, that we got to hit these hard points and we got we to gotta make it clear that these are the things that matter and we're going to attack them, you know, humorously as, as and enjoyably as amateur dads can and attack anything. But... Yeah. Uh, uh, Talk about a situation where we yeah. <laughs> we're not professional. No, not in, not in the least. But you know, I mean, that's what the majority of everyone is doing, unfortunately. Right. And, you know, we're just gonna put our opinion together. You know, be as rational as we can, and turn to the professionals and the experts, and you know, diagnose that as best as they can and as best as we can, and and how we can go about supplying a, a rational and helpful resolution towards you know whatever steps are required after this because there is going to be an after this yeah, yeah. social distancing is really physical separation of people 
where in circumstances where there are crowds, you, you remove yourself from very close contact. This is what we refer to when we ask people to say at least six feet apart. And you may say, why six feet apart? Because there's been a lot of scientific evidence with respiratory diseases is that's how far your droplets can go when you sneeze or cough. Stay at home if possible. Uh, don't go out on any unnecessary travel or trips. And to make sure you're staying away from crowded places like movie theaters and concerts. You can actually socially distance yourself from your workplace by doing teleworking. You can socially distance yourself from people in social settings by not going to bars, not going to restaurants, not going to theaters where there are a lot of people. It all just means physical separation so that you have a space between you and others who might actually be infected or affect you.